0: From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 309. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace, Pingdom, and DoorDash. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Jason Snell. Hello, Jason Snell. Hello, Mike Hurley. How are you? I'm fine and dandy, my friend. We have an action-packed Upgrade episode today, but considering it's so action-packed, I'm sure that there'll be many listeners who will have lots of strong opinions about this episode. So our hashtag SnellTalk question from Marlies, who submitted this in the FM members' Discord, ties into this perfectly. Marlies wants to know, Jason, do you ever talk back to podcasts? Mm.
1: Well, I think, yes, any good podcast, that engenders some connection, and then you end up uh, talking back to it from time to time. Yes, I do that. I just did that the other day. Um, I joke about how um, I I agree with almost everything that Marco says on ATP, but um, Marco was talking about uh, Big Sur the other day, while I was uh, listening, and I and I was in the shower because I listen to podcasts in the shower, and if you had been standing outside the shower door, you would have heard me say, "No, no, wrong." <laughs> so yes, I do that. I absolutely do that.
0: I tend to uh, also just when I speak back to podcasts, exclaim in some way, good or bad. Yeah, sure. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I, and I do a lot of laughing and all of that, but yeah. And I occasionally do like a you know, oh. Oh, Elliot to, you know, the mm-hmm. flop house or something like that. But occasionally there'll be something like that where I don't want to single out Marco. I also said that John was wrong on that episode, but I'm, you know, that's fine. It's their podcast. I'm not going to, I'm not going to swoop in with, uh, with some follow-out about how I disagree with some of the things they said. That's fine. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll talk about Big Sur at some point. But yes, I absolutely do talk back to the podcast. I don't try to tell a story or something because they're not there. They can't hear me. Mm. Uh, I will say also a privilege of being a Relay FM host is that I also just send messages to hosts as I'm listening to their podcast yes. in the Relay FM Slack. That happens all the time.
0: As uh, I'll pull back the curtain for a little bit to our listeners. I think nobody does this to me more than John Syracuse, sir. John is hmm. John is an active, as you can imagine, provider of follow up.
1: Yes, uh, to
0: podcasts.
1: Yes, indeed. S- surprise! Surprise! True. The creator of follow up likes to give follow up. He is a, he is he is both the creator of the concept of follow up and the creator of lots of follow up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Summer are fun. Some are fun. What could be more fun
0: than a new <laughs> Apple device? I- <laughs> that is the tenuous link for our Summer of Fun topic today. Uh, let's talk about a brand new iMac, Jason Now that was okay, let's do it. shown off and goes on sale today. Now, there are ramifications for the uh, rest of the iMac line. But the majority yes. of the news is focused around a 27-inch iMac. You had a story go up today, so uh, you were clued in on the information as it was coming out from Apple's yeah, nothing, press team. Nothing
1: said. like getting briefing about a product you don't know anything about and then having to write a story about it in less than an hour. But, but that's, that's what you're that's so good job. at, Jason. That's so my job. Would even sometimes, yeah.
0: So I'm going to run through uh, some of the features of this 27-inch iMac, and we can kind of stop and talk about them uh, as we as we want to. Uh, it answers the question of, well, one. I think everybody knew there was going to be some kind of iMac update, right? I think mm-hmm. with Intel chips in it. Does yep. has Intel chips? Let's get that one out of the way. It's yes. not Apple's first ARM Mac, but I think, you know, no. Tim Cook said at the end of WWDC, we have Intel products coming still this year. The it's iMac the was the exactly. The iMac was the obvious candidate because it it's been, you know, waiting, feels like it's been waiting on an update and it's a popular machine. And so they did it. Yeah. But it has the same visual designs. So this is an Intel chip inside of the iMac design yes. that we know and have feelings about.
1: Well, I mean, it's just, it's a classic and mm-hmm. it's been around, that means that it's like what we used to and also means that it's been around a very long time. And I think for the last couple of revisions, we've expected that, we thought, it, you know, are they going to make that change to the iMac? And it still hasn't happened. Um, so I'm just going to push that chip forward again and think maybe they are saving it for an Apple Silicon iMac and that will be a redesigned iMac because these are no different on the outside. Um they are different on the inside uh, it's really the 27 the 24 got some um changes to or 24 21.5 got some changes to the, uh, the basic configuration configurations, really. yeah that's all but it's basically not any different but the, the that's that's a that's apple's low cost leader i mean it's just not it's just not that exciting and they they still have the non they still have the super cheap one too so you know, it's 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 they have to keep that around, but the 27 inch is where they kind of made this investment, and they've they've upgraded a bunch of the tech inside. It's interesting; it, it's getting closer and closer to being an iMac Pro, um, but it's uh, still not an iMac Pro.
0: Yeah, well, we can talk about the iMac Pro comparison in a bit when we talk about some of the specs. I would say that, like, yeah, we're going to go through this obviously in more detail, but this machine received more of an internal spec update than i think i would have expected at this point before visual design change
1: did you think the intel imac was ever going to get a t2 at this point like no. it's it's the last it's swooping in here is like the last mac to get a t2 i mean except for the 21 and a half inch imac which is untouched but yeah. like almost the last mac to get the t2 but it seems so late in the process that it is kind of funny, right? Like, again, late in the process because we know the transition is happening. The fact is people are going to buy these and they're going to be fine and they're going to work for years. And they're going to be – I mean, there there is a little bit of fallacy among people who are very tech savvy that, oh, I don't want to buy an iMac now. It's the worst time to buy an iMac because the chip transition is happening. It's like, well – yeah, but if you need an iMac now, it's not like this thing breaks in six months, right? Like no. it's going to work and be fine. And for and a lot of fact, people,
0: this would actually be the best time to buy before there's yeah, uncertainty.
1: Before there's uncertainty. I have a close friend who said, oh, this is the time for me to buy because my iMac is getting a little uh, a little ratty. And I think that uh, his feeling is, I'd rather go now with this stable Intel architecture and then spend the next five years watching everybody else deal with Apple Silicon. And then, you know, when that's all settled down, it'll be time for a new iMac. So I think that's a perfectly valid... It's not valid if you want to be on the cutting edge, but so many people are not interested in being on the cutting edge. So, you know, what what you do get out of this is possibly the last Intel iMac. And so at the height, you know, it's got the new... Uh, 10th generation intel processors uh, it's got a, a new version of a radeon pro amd radeon pro gpu uh, which has more um, larger vram option there's a 10 core i9 processor which really is uh, last year last year the eight core high-end imac was basically it at, at imac pro levels mm. Um, with some caveats, right? Like the cooling isn't as good, which means that there might be more throttling and it didn't have the T2, but now it does. Um, and it, as far as we can tell, you know, the cooling in these is the cooling in the old iMac, which means its mm-hmm. thermal, uh, thermal capabilities are not the same as in the iMac Pro, which redesigned the thermal system. So uh, there are reasons to get an iMac Pro even now, but it is interesting that alongside this announcement of the up to ten core iMac, Apple took the eight core iMac Pro, which is my iMac Pro, and uh, it's gone. It's a goner. And they actually took the ten core iMac Pro and slid it down to the entry price of the of the iMac Pro. So I think that's Apple. I think Apple is comfortable with there being a little bit of overlap between the high end iMac and the low end iMac Pro, but not that much overlap. So that's a little a little tidbit that it did
0: with comparing these. It's interesting. I'm pleased that Apple I have actually done that It was like understanding that the iMac Pro is losing some of its competitive edge here and is like reshifting a little bit because now this new iMac at the 27 inch has features the iMac Pro doesn't have, which could be considered great for people that use it. I want to talk about the one that I'm the most interested in, which is the nanotexture display option coming to a Mac device. So it is a $500 Mm. add-on, which is when uh, I found out they were adding the nanotexture, I thought would be much more than $500. It's not cheap, but that is I I would have expected it to be like a thousand dollars because that's how much more the pro display is right. It's the, the I think it's a thousand dollars more for the nano texture option. Um, this is a thing that I had hoped we would see that Apple would learn this technology and would understand it completely and would end up bringing it to other devices. So I am actually really pleased to see that because I could imagine a future computer that I may want, I would want to add this onto. So like, for example, in my studio, I have large overhead lights like those. I don't know if they're like, they're like the tube ones you get in offices with fluorescent lights, yeah. The fluorescent ones. That, thank you. That's what I was looking for. And on my Dell display that I have my uh, Mac mini hooked up to, it gets quite a bit of glare so i will say this makes me even more hopeful that an apple display that may come out in the future which i'm still hoping will happen would include an option for nanotexture on that right so yeah I, i'm just genuinely like really pleased to see that apple has found a way to extend this new technology out to somewhere else i mean would i love a nanotexture ipad in the future yes apple i desperately would but maybe we can look at that somewhere down the line
1: yes the question is what what they would charge you for it because it is a 500 option mm-hmm. for nanotexture display on the iMac but mm-hmm. you know there are people who will want that level of glare reduction right like yeah they're absolutely and it may come down to your workplace right like in fact it may open up new options for you in your workplace. Like I, ca- I literally can't move my monitor from this or my iMac from this place because there's too much glare in every other direction. And maybe that uh, is a thing that, you know, with a nanotexture display iMac, you could be like, oh, I now I can put it over here, I can move it here. Um, so that would be great. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's fascinating to see that rolled out here and, and who knows where else it might go. New 1080p webcam. In the yeah IMAC. yeah so this is I think basically the IMac pro webcam um, and what it gets is not just the webcam hardware but because there's a t2 now the t2 does all of the image signal processing mmm like on the iMac Pro, which means that it's a it's going to be a better webcam experience. It's not a four K webcam or anything, but it's going to be a a better webcam experience. Not just because the hardware is better, but because the the T two is doing all the controlling in terms of face detection and adjusting the camera settings. That's all happening uh, on the T two, and so that'll be a big upgrade for versus the previous iMac.
0: Oh, also uh, up to 128 gigabytes of RAM you can put in yep. one of these machines.
1: Um, yep. it, it's
0: quite significant. You can really yeah, and, get a lot into this.
1: And did we mention the the 16-inch MacBook Pro Professional Microphones system? is Ah, is, yes. the uh, is in is here, it, too. The,
0: the podcasting microphones that, that nobody Studio quality.
1: Use. Yeah. Studio quality or whatever. It may actually, I was thinking about it, it may actually be better on the iMac. You wouldn't
0: be typing on it. Yeah,
1: well, that's true. And the 16 inch MacBook Pro, you know, it's a laptop, so it's moving around. And what we found is that it can sound good, but it also can sound not great depending on where it is. My guess is that the iMac, because it just sits in one place, it's probably, you know, not going to be pressed up against a, you know, a, a, a comforter or <laughs> like, or weird, you know, in weird places that you might put a laptop. Um, just sitting out on a desk and it may be optimized for that and may actually sound better, but it's two microphones in the, in the front, in the chin, and then one in the back. And so it can do noise cancellation and echo cancellation and all those things. And it's, it's basically the, uh, the mic system that, uh, is in the 16 inch MacBook Pro as well. And I'd imagine that over time that will go on all Macs, but this is the second Mac to really get that.
0: So SSD is now standard on every single IMAC. Um the, the all of the starting options for every IMAC now includes an SSD. They do start at two hundred and fifty six gigabytes though. Um, But I know you've been very upset, rightly so, about spinning disks being a standard option in any machine now. You can choose to add one, which I think is fine. Like you can choose to make your 256 gig. You can bump in like a fusion drive into that, which I think is a great option to offer for people.
1: Yeah, I should say that the uh, the two high end configurations of the iMac are 512, not 256. It's the base model mm-hmm. uh, 27 and all the 21.5s that are 256 SSD. And on the on the base on the 21.5, you can for the same price order a one terabyte Fusion drive instead. And the idea there is, Good. if you're somebody who doesn't care about speed as much, but you really have a big photo library and you want that size, and you're not gonna you don't want to spend more money on a larger SSD, they're still gonna give you the option. So we can't can't say the spinning disc is totally dead. It's available as an option, but um but that's it. It's like a base it's out of all the base models now. These mm-hmm. default IMAC 215 and 27 now both are just SSD. And then on the highest end IMAC, you can actually go all the way up to eight terabytes. So you can do one, two, four, or eight terabytes. Um and that's, you know, again, it's Apple's got their all, all their little slots and you can order different things in little slots. So you can upgrade the the uh, two uh, Retina 21.5s to up to a terabyte SSD. Um, but that, again, that 1099 non-Retina, sad little 21.5 inch iMac, you know, it's not, it's going to have a, either a 256 SSD or a one terabyte fusion drive. Those are your only options.
0: That is a sad little computer.
1: It It, it is. It needs to go. I, there are rumors that Apple is working on kind of a 24-inch mm. iMac redesign, right? That rumor has been floating out there. And that would actually... I wonder if the first new iMac we see on Apple Silicon is replacing the 21-inch Intel surely, iMac. That's right? 21 and a half, the sad, uh, unupdated iMac, right? I
0: think they've only shown today that that is more likely... Because yeah. they added it's, a lot of things into the 27 inch. Yeah, you could keep Arguably that one alive for that a while. Some of them could have come to the 21, uh, but they have not done that,
1: right? And the the argument is also that Apple, even though I'm very optimistic about Apple Silicon, um, and I've done the in you know made up charts to prove it, <laughs> to quote unquote prove it. Um, I think it's worth saying that it's probably going to be harder for them to hit performance at the high, high end than it is at the low end where they're already there. Mm -hmm. And this might be the case where Apple is taking the 27 inch iMac and saying, you know, keep that plate spinning, update it to the latest Intel processors. Look, it's really fast. And then that means they can leave it there and it can be part of the later part of the Apple Silicon transition. They can just sort of let it sit there and then they take the twenty one point five inch iMac and they're like, "All right, tap it on the shoulder, like you got to go, like this is <laughs> your cut." Uh, and bring in on the low end because if they if they do a redesign and it's of the twenty four, let's say, so they bring in the bezels and it's not not much not much bigger than the twenty one point five, but it's a bigger screen and all of that, and it's Apple Silicon and whatever processor they put in there, like I, I think there's no doubt they've got a processor ready to go for that, even if they wait on the bigger iMac for a little while. Uh, totally a reasonable scenario that uh, it seems more likely today because the 21.5-inch iMac is more or less untouched for a couple of years and is, is kind of sad and um, bad. And that's why. I mean, it's there because it's cheap. That's it. It's there because it's cheap. It's not great, but it's cheap. And that seems ripe for a, an Apple Silicon replacement.
0: Do you think that this will be the last Intel Mac of any kind that gets a f- significant
1: update? I okay, so w- without getting into details because Apple gives us these briefings on background and that means not for attribution and no direct quotes and all that. What I'll say is I get the distinct impression that they they that Tim Cook's statement they're letting it ride, right? Like there was no statement that this is the end. And what Tim Cook said is, we still have Intel machines in the in the pipeline. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say there probably are more Intel updates in the pipeline. I don't know if there will be any substantial Intel updates in the pipeline. Right. I'm skeptical of that. It wouldn't surprise me if I mean what I just said about keeping some of the high-end plates spinning while dealing with the the ones you want to target as your first Apple Silicon Macs means that, like, it, what if they announce a 13-inch MacBook Pro or a 14-inch MacBook Pro with Apple Silicon, which is a rumor for this fall? Yeah, maybe when they do that, they say, "Oh, and the 16-inch got new Intel processors." and mm-hmm. and like that's it. Like they literally like we're not doing that today. That those those got a little those got a refresh or, or a configuration change, but we're going to we're not doing that yet. We're doing this now. It, that that I think may happen. And who knows, there might be a Mac mini Intel Mac mini bump where they're like, "Look, we're not going <laughs> to we're not going to do this now. We're just going to rev the Mac mini, like it, it, I think it's a priority thing. Like you can see Apple's prioritization because they can't ship everything at once. Sure. So if the Mac mini gets an Intel bump now, that's Apple saying it's not getting Apple Silicon for a while. If it doesn't, then perhaps it's toward the front of the Apple Silicon uh, train. So we'll see. But, uh, but my gut feeling based on the fact that they that they seem to be letting Tim Cook's statement just be there and let it, letting it ride, is uh, a suggestion to me that there are probably some more Intel Macs. This is probably not the last Intel Mac, but it sure feels like it's probably the last notable Intel Mac update. Could Might not be, but I, I think there's probably not a lot left in the pipeline for them.
0: I would agree with you that I, if I was going to assume, if I was going to put my money on it, I would say that this is probably the last update for an Intel machine that is notable, is significant. It has more than just, we're keeping this one alive for a while, right. right? Because that's kind of what they've done with the 21 in a way. Like, they've made some changes that make it make a little bit more sense in the product line. But that's not notable in any way. I would say, like, that this, or do you, the last time that they did the, the iMac update, like, this one is much bigger than that. You know, like the last iMac update was mostly like, you know, we we'll put a new chip in it, that kind of thing. Like, I can imagine doing that for a while, but this adds some like actual new features that didn't exist in the iMac, in the iMac line before. So it really feels like this is a big one, you know, because I could imagine, right? Like, especially the Mac Pro. I don't know about the iMac Pro, but especially the Mac Pro. I can imagine that one is going to be one of the very last to move to Apple Silicon. I'm probably not alone in my thinking there. So they'll have some new stuff that they'll be putting into the Mac Pro line over time. But you know, we're not going to see like a brand new Mac Pro, I would imagine, for quite a while. But they'll they'll keep kind of like bumping some things. You can now yeah. put this processor in, I this graphics card in, that kind of thing.
1: Ex- I think that's exactly the idea, is for stuff like that that's at the high end... Saying you know we're not ready yet, but we'll give this a new. Oh, are there some new Xeons or whatever? We'll put those in there if there are. Like, I think keeping their they're keeping their options open there mm-hmm. too. But who knows? I mean, it would. I think it would be really weird for them to say, "Oh, we've completely redesigned the the MacBook Pro 13 inch and it's running on Intel processors." Mm, yeah. I don't know. So uh, yeah, it feels like if we're not at the end. I, I think we're pretty close to the end now. Yeah. Like, I think I I would be surprised if there was a new iMac or a new Mac running Intel processors that was a more substantial update than what we just saw.
0: I cannot like stay in one place about my thinking as to whether the iMac Pro will continue.
1: So, future of the iMac Pro is a really good uh, question. So, the, for those who don't remember, the iMac Pro based on all reports from the time, was Apple's replacement for the trash can Mac Pro. They were literally going to say, no more Mac Pro. We're just going to do an iMac Pro. That's going to suffice. And that is going to be our new Pro Mac going forward. And then they changed their strategy. And they had that meeting and they said, we are going to do a Mac Pro. But the iMac Pro was already kind of like designed and they put it out. And it was out way before the Mac Pro was. And uh, I bought one and I love it. I think. It feels like the time for them to have updated it has passed now, given that they're going to Apple Silicon. So now what it feels like to me is they have a plan for the iMac on Apple Silicon, and my guess is that the iMac Pro won't exist anymore, Mm -hmm. or if it does exist, it's going to exist... But really, just be a powerful iMac. It's That's just my the guess. The top of the line yeah. configuration
0: well, of whatever the iMac will become.
1: Imagine, yeah, using the same base design as whatever the twenty-seven inch iMac becomes. Which again may be a little while, right? Depending on how they handle the smaller one. If that one is their target for a redesign for Apple Silicon, maybe the, the these iMacs hang around. But when they do bring the twenty-seven inch iMac over to Apple Silicon, you know the the Offering a high-end processor configuration is something they could do. If they if they want to keep the idea of a, an iMac Pro around, they could offer that. And they could even ha- have that be the different colored case. <laughs> like, mm. oh, darker aluminum space gray for the high-end, right? And that's sort of a, uh, how do they, do they value that? Do they think there's value in having that? But yeah, the the truth is... It's like the Spinal Tap thing of, well, you know, why would you make it 11? Why don't you just make 10 louder? It's a little bit like that. It's like, why make an iMac Pro? Why not just make the iMac faster at the high end? If it's a brand new architecture, is there anything in here that needs to be different architecturally for the iMac Pro? And my guess is that they're going to build the new iMac for Apple Silicon whenever it comes with the idea of having a, a good thermal envelope to grow the processors over time without completely redesigning the cooling system, right? At which point, you know, they would do that once. Why do that twice? They would do that once. There's got to be only one iMac design. So I think, I think it means that essentially the iMac Pro is probably dead. Even if they keep it around, I think it's much more likely to just be a high-end iMac with some special features rather than like a completely new design. I'm a little disappointed that the iMac Pro design doesn't seem to have ever gone in any uh, any iMac and seems like it maybe never will but the maybe dark they'll take design, lessons. Do
0: you mean like the is that, is well that the,
1: you... the 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 cool? I mean oh, the that it's SSD only and it's got the whole giant cooling system that is yeah. way more capable than what's in the iMac. But uh, I don't know. Maybe I,
0: I, the the next iMac actually benefits from that that technology. Maybe it'll
1: benefit. And and again, I would come back to the fact that the iMac. Pro was a conception from the before time in terms of how Apple thinks of the Mac. So it's possible the iMac Pro was designed thinking that not only would there not be a Mac Pro, but that there would not be Apple Silicon. Right yeah. from a period where yeah. they were just going to get along to go along, put put the Mac in maintenance mode, essentially legacy mode where it was there but it never really changed that much and whatever there was a new set of Xeons, they'd stick it on the iMac Pro and call it a day but really that was not the future and then they changed their path and mm-hmm. so it's it's designed under all sorts of assumptions that Apple has yeah. probably, ca- probably cast off like four or five years ago and it's still kicking around. Yeah, For
0: all we know they're going to take a wash on the R&D of the iMac Pro because that future didn't pan out the, the future of our professional macintosh is this one yeah and you know yeah. so we may never see if the you know it's possible like all that work that we're talking about that incredible calling that the iMac pro has that literally may never make it to another computer right like it yeah. might have just live in this one because apple silicon chips will take a different type of system
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, SSD only is the future, right? And Mm -hmm. so what they did in pulling all of the space out of the iMac, you know, that's great, but they're going to design a new iMac and they may decide, well, I want it to be smaller and lighter. And so I'm not going to use that hard drive space for uh, cooling. I'm going to remove it from the computer, right? So Mm -hmm. it it may be a very different kind of computer, but that's, it's okay. I think, I think Apple knows how many people who have high-end pro tasks use imacs and not just the imac pro but other high-end imacs i think they're aware of that and i think that they're aware of their needs and will continue to have um a computer available that serves those needs whether they brand it as a, an imac pro and load it up with options that are awesome and a space gray enclosure and all of that or whether it's just not worth it uh, I think is an open question. It's sort of like it's their choice about if they think that there's value in branding one of their iMacs as the pro iMac in order to get people to buy it and spend more money. That's a that's a marketing decision more mm-hmm. than a technical decision, I think, honestly. This episode is brought
0: to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. Do you have a website? Does your website have a shopping cart or a registration form? Maybe even a contact us page. These are pages that you want to be available. You have content. You want that to be available. If you answered that, yes, you do have a website that has this stuff on it, you need Pingdom. Do you know what that means? It means every website because nobody wants their critical website transactions to fail. This means a bad experience for you, your users. could mean lost business for you as well, which you definitely don't want. The good news is you can set up transaction monitoring from our friends at Pingdom from SolarWinds. Transaction monitoring alerts you when your cart checkout, your forms, your login pages fail before they affect your customers or your business. Pingdom will let you know the moment that any of these fail in whatever way is best for you. You can customize how you're alerted and who is alerted depending on the outage severity and Pingdom cares about your users having the smoothest site experience possible. So if disaster does strike, you're going to be the very first to know. It is super easy to get started. Just go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. I love Pingdom. We use it all the time here at RelayFM. It makes sure that we're online when we want to be and if there's any issues they let us know and we can get it fixed. Go right now to pingdom.com/relayfm and you'll get a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. When you sign up, use the code upgrade at checkout and you'll get a massive 30% off your first invoice. That's pingdom.com/relayfm and the code upgrade. Our thanks to Pingdom from Solowinds for their support of this show and Relay FM.
1: Breaking news, Mike. Breaking news. We have more breaking news to report. This is the summer of breaking news episode, apparently. Mm -hmm. Huge, huge Apple executive story. Phil Schiller, Apple's longtime senior vice president of worldwide marketing, is getting a new title. And a familiar face is becoming the senior vice president of worldwide marketing. Product marketing. So, Phil Schiller ha- has been given the white robe, and um, and and <laughs> which I don't know of being an Apple fellow. What he's is, going to be. Are there any other Apple fellows? There have been. Okay. I don't know. It's almost like you know. Did he, did they just let him choose his job title? Yeah. Uh, anyway, Apple fellow. He's still going to be in charge of the App Store which is very interesting. If you remember, he had that reassigned to him from Eddie Q and has made a lot of positive changes in the App Store since then. Oh, I have a list of Apple fellows. Would you like to know them? Let let me finish this. He's also in charge of events. So he's also in charge of Apple's events. So these two things, which are probably near and dear to his heart, he's still in charge of now. Before we tell you the rest of the story, Mike Hurley's got a list of other Apple fellows. I
0: have. I've just found it. Uh, Believe it or not, I'm not kidding. This news was announced as we were recording like half an hour ago. It's already been updated to include Phil Schiller. This is on an apple.fandom.com wiki. Sure, uh, the list of fellows include Al Alcorn, Alan Kay, Bill Atkinson, Don Norman, Gary Starkweather, Gershon Sidu, uh, Guy Kawasaki, Phil Schiller, Rod Holt, Rich Page, Steve Capps, and Steve Wozniak. Ah, uh, that's
1: the Wozniak slot. That's mm-hmm. what it is. I only know yeah. like half of those names. It's 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 like for distinguished people for for service to the computer industry or, or to Apple. It's an interesting choice to put him in that slot. Um there's a statement about it where he says he will keep working at Apple as long as they will have me. I bleed six colors, he says, but I want to make some time in the years ahead for my family, friends, and a few personal projects I care deeply about. He turned 60 this year. So there's definitely a suggestion here. He cites that, that he turned 60, that um, that he – look – my gut feeling in reading this, and again, it's only been a half an hour and who knows what you know will come out about it, is that Phil Schiller's been at Apple a long time. He's made a lot of money. He's got a lot of Apple stock. He, he doesn't need to work for a living anymore. And he loves Apple. So this sounds to me like Phil Schiller saying, look, I could retire, but I don't want to do that, but I don't want to work the way I've been working. And they're like, okay, Tim probably is like, okay, how about this and it's like or or maybe he said i'll keep these i'll keep the app store and events but let's let's let someone else do the the, all the other marketing stuff i want to i want a smaller job now maybe then maybe there's a whole other story here but that's my gut read on this at the beginning is a lot of these people who've been at apple a long time uh don't need to be there anymore and they, they, they can retire and some of the reasons they're there is because they love apple and they love what they do it's really true that, you know, when he says he bleeds six colors, Phil's been there a long time. He really does care about this stuff. But at the same time, you're looking at, at the fact that you turn 60 and you're working at a very intense company at a very intense job. It would be it would it seems entirely reasonable that a human being in that position would go to their boss, in this case, Tim Cook, and say, Tim, I, I just wanna cut back. I don't this is too intense for me. I'm turning sixty. There are other people who can do the rest of this job. I wanna I don't want to go but I I don't want to keep doing it at the level that I'm doing it. I think that's not unreasonable at all. So, I'm going to that's my gut gut read on it is I think it's interesting because he's not stepping away, right? From like the App Store. That's a huge thing that he took the reins of and has made substantive changes to and it sounds like he gets to still be in charge of that part, which either that's him saying I don't want somebody else to mess up the work I did in this area or it's somebody like Tim Cook saying I can't lose you from the app store because you really got a good grip on that. And I want you to keep on that. And events, you know, events is, is his thing. And he's been behind those all along. Yeah.
0: This press release says that he was uh, responsible, like ultimately for the online WWDC. So that was cool to know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so whether it's Phil saying, these are my favorites or it's Tim saying, I can't lose you on these things. Or whether it's them saying, we've got a new executive who can be in charge of product marketing, but what we can't do is load all of this other stuff on him, too. It's too much, and let's let us let him succeed in the one job without taking on these other jobs. Well, my
0: other thought would be is, like, you just don't want to rip the Band-Aid off too fast.
1: Well... Sure. I mean, I think there's a logical thing there that like, how long does he do, do this job? And the fact is, I mean, he says, as long as they'll have me, maybe if this all is going well, you know, he's, he's around another 10 years doing just this stuff or five years or however long he wants to be before he truly really retires. And maybe, you know, and again, this is not one of these like oh, it's all a sham. He's actually out of there. I think there are a lot of scenarios where what it, what it really is as an organization is I'm going to take a step back and we're going to let other people take a step forward and we're going to train people up. Maybe he feels like there's nobody who can take the job of running the app store or running events yet. But as he steps away, those people fill those spots and he trains them up. And when he truly wants to retire or become just an Apple fellow where he has no responsibilities, he just walks around the campus wearing the white robe. I made that up, by the way. There's no white robe. Maybe well, might there be. is. Who but- knows? I don't know. I just, I like that idea that there's been like a ceremony and he's been inducted. Um, You know, he'll have, those people will have come along. And then, because that happens sometimes, right? Where you get these people who are super high powered and they've been there a long time and they know what they're doing. And then you say, well, what happens when you leave? And the answer is there's no one, like we'll scramble. And one of the things you do, I think if you're responsible, especially if you're 60 and you want to step back is you say, Can we, you know, move to everything's a transition, right? It's not like a transitional job. Everybody, you know, has their time and then they leave. So uh, even Phil Schiller. So this is a good opportunity for him to take, you know, this part off of his plate, but also presumably to develop other people so that when he leaves, leaves that those people that there are people who can step into those jobs. We haven't even talked about Greg Joswiak, who has been who is an Apple Lifer. He has been there so long. I think he came I think he left at one point and he came back, but like Greg Joswiak he was he was like a PowerBook product marketing manager of the original PowerBooks, I think. Like he's been there a long time. And he and we've seen him on stage a lot more lately, although he's always been kind of around and on stage occasionally and he and he is the new Phil in the sense of being the senior vice president of worldwide product marketing. So all of the marketing and PR presumably all now report to Jaws. And um, I I have known him at least a little bit for a long time because I've been covering Apple a long time and he's been at Apple a long time. And I really like him. I mean, I think, I think his personality comes across. He's, he's very dip- disciplined as a speaker on stage and things like that. But I, uh, I think he's a, a good guy and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with product marketing. But it's a big moment. Um, also, uh, another thing I wanted to throw out there, which is like Johnny Ive, I have to wonder if this is one of those announcements that is following the actual disengagement like, if that makes sense, that maybe Jaws has kind of been doing this job increasingly over right. the t- over the right. last year, and Phil has been- It does feel that way. I stepping mean, back. Right. Publicly, I feel
0: like I see Jaws way more than I see Schiller these days. Yeah. It's been like that yeah. for a while.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Jaws is definitely, I was going to say, in the last two or three years, we've seen way more of Jaws than we used to. And- we have seen less of Phil. And and it's funny, too, because back when we were doing in-person events before now, um, there would be people, you know, so I go to an event, and on the live stream, I'm like, oh, there's no Phil. What's up with Phil? And it's like, Phil's there. I talked to Phil afterward. Like, Phil's there. It's just, I, I think that maybe that was part of the conscious, kind of like getting other people involved, and Phil doesn't have to be on stage for everything. um, Even though he's, in charge of the event and in charge of the product marketing doesn't mean he has to be on stage. Now that goes hand in hand with a general trend Apple has had since Steve jobs died of getting away from the, the single or very limited set of presenters and trying to show lots of people. Cause Steve jobs in, especially in the early days when he came back, Steve jobs and Katie cotton, who was the head of communications during this period, it was very much like Steve is our, our spokesman, Steve, Steve, and he's got his sidekicks like Phil Schiller, but like it's it's the message is Steve and the message is Apple and Apple is a monolithic force and you don't even know who all those people are that Steve's is thanking at the end for not seeing their families because they were working on this product. Like you don't know who they are. And the Tim Cook Apple, for lots of good reasons, is about showing the faces of all the people who work at Apple and, and getting to know those people and having it be this cast of people and saying, look at all these brilliant people we have working at Apple on all these products. And so it's a natural part of that process too for Phil Schiller to step back. And I'll point out, he's a guy in charge of events. So he was probably driving that process. So it's a, you know, I think it's not just that Phil is seen less often because he was stepping away, but also that sort of by design that he wanted some some different people in there but it's still a big deal and we'll have to we'll have to watch it and see if things change but the fact that phil schiller is still around um and still in charge of things that's the that's the big one i think in terms of the headline here is that he he's got this title of apple fellow which seems yeah. super amorphous it's different
0: to johnny right johnny just left
1: johnny just left and it's different to was right who gets a paycheck but doesn't do anything it's sorry was uh but uh He's still in charge of App Store and events, right? Like, so th- that's the part of this that I find fascinating. It's like, well, Phil has ascended into Apple fellowhood, but he's also in charge of the App Store and events still. So, you know, it, he he's left, but he hasn't left at all. Whereas Johnny Ive, like, was already gone, and now he's really gone.
0: <laughs> but I think it's fair to say, fair to assume, the things that he is in charge of, they are looking for people to. To, to well, like I those said,
1: roles. like I said, I feel like the things he's in charge of, presumably one of the things he's doing is identifying the people who can replace him to do those things. When, you know, and it could be well, Jaws will take this over later, or it could be you know, it's not really a product marketing job in the same way. Uh, Phil did it because it was Phil, like because that's the other truth here is that there are titles and then there are like what the people do, and if you've been in an organization long enough, sometimes you will accumulate roles that are not your job because like as it's defined but you're the person who knows i mean this happened to me all the time where i was like it's not my job to do this but i'm the person who does that because i'm the one of all of us that was the best fit or whatever and it's like okay well why is that your job I'm like i don't know it's my job i think phil schiller has done that over the years and i think this is a good example of that where like some of these jobs are probably not svp worldwide product marketing jobs but uh they're phil jobs and so uh Ideally, yeah, he would be looking at people within the organization to take over those jobs uh, down the road. And, and that's, that's the job. Honestly, that's the job of any responsible manager, right? You should always be cultivating your replacement. Um, That's, that's being a good manager is you want your people to continue to grow and either replace you as you go on to do your next thing, or ultimately, if they, are, if they hit a brick wall, you give them the opportunity to go somewhere else and do this thing. And that's part of being a manager and letting your people progress. So I would hope that he's doing that. Big
0: day. Wild day. Uh, we spoke a lot about Max. We spoke a lot about people instrumental in Max. Uh, but it's, I'm really trying to segue hmm. into 20 Max of 2020 here, Jason. You probably gonna have to save me at some point.
1: I have a project, everybody, that I've been working on all year, and. It's finally out, which is 20 max for 2020. It's a multimedia extravaganza. It really is. I'm writing an essay, so this is how it started. I am writing an essay about the 20 most notable Macs ever, as defined by me arbitrarily. Mm-hmm. One a week, uh, counting down from 20 to one. So counting down from the 20th most notable to the number one most notable Mac. Uh, this was my 2020 project. Got a little sidetracked because, you know, of the world. But here it is. And as I was doing this and I wrote, I think, the first 10 essays and I thought to myself, I'm going to regret it if there isn't a podcast component. Because you're a podcast
0: guy. That's, yeah. you know. So I,
1: I, I, and then I thought, I'm going to regret it if there's not a video component so people can see these things. And so it's all of those now. So they're in addition to writing an essay, twenty essays. I'm going to make twenty videos and twenty podcast episodes about these twenty max. So yeah, it's a lot. So I'm doing the videos in collaboration with Stephen Hackett on Five Twelve Pixels, um, and the podcast is going to be on Relay FM, and the essays are on Six Colors. And then as a bonus for Six Colors members and upgrade supporters at Relay FM. Uh, those those people will have access to an early feed of mm-hmm. the podcast. The get, You'll get the episodes on Monday instead of Friday. And the public podcast feed is on Friday. So everybody gets to hear it. The supporters of Upgrade or of Six Colors get it sooner. Does that yeah. make
0: sense? Yep. We'll talk in Upgrade Plus about how you can get it because it's like a separate feed which you can grab. Sure. So we'll talk about that in Upgrade Plus. But what made you... I know the numbers are good, right? Twenty, twenty, twenty. You know, but what made you want to put this together now? You know, like you could have done nineteen max for twenty nineteen if you wanted to.
1: Honestly, I was thinking of that twenty was a again. This is before everything went bad. That twenty was a, a an opportunity mm-hmm. for a list of twenty of something, and I wanted to do an extended project. My friend, uh, Simon Jerry, who works at IDG, he used to be the editor-in-chief of Macworld UK. He was my counterpart for many, many years. He wrote a column every month. His column in Macworld UK every month was uh, something called Apple A to Z, which was uh, every month he would discuss like everything related to Apple that starts with a certain letter, and he went through the whole alphabet. I thought, always thought that was a really clever project, And I I told him he should turn it into like an ebook or something. And that never happened. But I thought that was cool. And then um, there's a sports writer I love uh, named Joe Posnanski who did a series that recently finished that was called The Baseball 100, where he wrote an essay about the top 100, basically most notable, I would say, because people argued about it, uh, baseball players of all time. And that, that was a fun idea. And I thought, well, maybe that's my... And I wanted to give myself a project for 2020. I wanted to have, you know, we have our... We have our uh our jobs that we do, but a lot of it is kind of amorphous it's like six colors especially it's just like I write about whatever is going on and I thought it would be nice to have some something to kind of focus my time that is also not a commitment to do it forever um and and I put all that together and I thought well this is what i'm gonna do i'm gonna i'm gonna play on the fact that i've got I don't write a lot about like history mm. even though I've been covering apple a long time I don't do that it's not my I'm not, I'm not your nostalgia blogger, right? Like that's not yeah. my goal. You know, Stephen is I, what you're saying.
0: I'm not. <laughs> but the difference is, Ouch. I guess, between Stephen and you is Stephen <laughs> researches it, but you were there for most of it. Right. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I decided to leverage the fact that I've been around a long time and have some of these stories that have kind of. There is an amnesia before Mac OS X. Basically, mm-hmm. there is a real Mac amnesia. So uh, some of these stories are, are predate that, um, and yeah. So that was what I thought: is that even though I'm not going to be your nostalgia blogger all the time for this, why not tap into that and do yeah. a little sort of ce- celebratory kind of project? Uh, and that was the that was the origin of it.
0: I really wasn't trying to burn Stephen. Like, but but that is what he does, right? Like he writes articles about products all the time that's what 512 is about right like old computers about old 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 stuff yeah as and there well are, as podcast about it. like the thing that makes 512 different is he is he talks a lot of mac history as well as mac present
1: I guess what I'd say is as somebody who's 16 years older than Stephen mm-hmm. I feel like the writing about old things is a bigger trap for me <laughs> than it is for him because yeah. for him it's like I'm burrowing down into the layers and discovering what's down in the archaeological dig of the Mac. And like I'm in the archaeological dig, so Let me, it's a little I'll harder you, for me this, to do this that. This is gonna
0: sound like this might take a, a long way round to give you this compliment, but please just uh, stick with me for a moment. A conversation that I have quite frequently with friends of mine about you is that Uh-oh. you are not stuck in the past. Right, you are as you said. You are sixteen years older than Jason, which means that you're no. Nope, that's me. No, you're Jason I'm, and Steven. I'm exactly my age. So it's there's a couple more years of difference between us, or one. I don't yeah. even know how old Steven is. I don't know how old I am most of the time. But okay, you are very like you're just as modern as anybody, right? Like you are not. I don't ever think of you as being older than me in any way. And nor do I think of you as, like, the old-timer Mac guy. So, like, you are definitely a modern writer for computing, but that is a skill that you have of you do not get stuck in the past, you do move forward, and you stick with the times. You know, you're not like a, oh, back in my day kind of thing. Like, and this even, I think, comes through with... The coverage that you've had about Big Sur so far of welcoming the change of Big Sur,
1: but this is the risk because I, this is the risk about writing about old stuff, mm-hmm. is that is that I do try not to do that. Like I do yeah. try, I, I I do it occasionally, but I try not to do it. And so you know that that's why I don't do this a lot. But I thought I would do it this time, right? But so. I, this is
0: what I'm saying. You have, I think, the the ability to do this now because it's it doesn't date quote-unquote date you because this is just a special thing that you're doing so basically what i'm saying is you are not like i don't ever think of you i don't think anybody does it's like this <laughs> ancient mac archaeologist as you would say or, or part, part of the fossil or whatever but like so it gives you the ability to do it because this
1: isn't your thing but you do have the knowledge so it should be shared yeah, there are those moments where where somebody like Stephen, especially, is like, "Oh, there was this video about like Steve Jobs and the the coffin." That's a great video, and I'm like, "Yeah, I was in the front yeah, you row. Were there. I was like, I was like ten feet away from yeah. that." It's like, "Oh, but that's ancient history." Yes, it is ancient history. It we is. It is.
0: Watch some old keynotes for Connected or the Prompt, and like we were watching the iPod one, and we were kind of talking uh, about that as like a historical moment. And you're just sitting there, you know, baby Jason's in the in yep. the fourth row or whatever, you know. So you have this knowledge and it's worth sharing because as well, like what I love, I've obviously I've heard the first episode. I've, I've heard some parts of further later episodes of 20 max and 2020 is it's, but it's not just you right there. The, the, the great part about it is, is interviews with many people who were around them, people you used to work with. So the great thing is like, it is a, a for the, for the podcast, especially, I think like a really great oral history of, these Macs in their time from people that use them, not just a case of like, oh, I looked it up on Wikipedia and like, let me tell you about it. Like there are stats, there are things to hear about which are interesting, but I always find it more interesting to hear from people who have the actual context of being around right. then like you know like when you look at the history i'm sure like the 20 max of 2020 will touch on computers that were released at a time when apple nearly went bankrupt and as of this week apple is the most valuable company in the world so like people that have only been around like like me for 15 years caring about this stuff I can't accurately give the context of what it was like for to be a Mac user 22 years ago, and so I think that yeah. that's the thing that I like about this project is it's giving more people, as well as yourself, who were around then, to share those stories because it gives additional context to these to the history of these computers. So it's cool. Well, I,
1: I and I neglected to mention that. So the podcast is a scripted podcast. Um, with me talking to I'm telling a story and I'm also weaving in the stories of a bunch of people I I know and so like some old-timers like Adam Engst and Andy Anotko are in there but also like Stephen Hackett's in there and John Gruber's in there and um, there there are a bunch of people coming up who you haven't heard from yet who are in... And I'm, I'm gathering more. And so it's a different... It's a very different feel. The essay is just me. The podcast is the voices. It's me telling a story and also the voices of other people who have other things that are their priority. And i let them say that part. And then the video is actually a little more like a podcast in that it's me and Stephen Hackett just talking about it and then showing you like pictures of the old Max. Oh, and I guess Stephen has whatever. a lot of them too, right? So. Well, th- this is one of the reasons that it's a collab, as the kids say, is because he's got so many of mm-hmm. these. Not all of them, by the way. He doesn't have all of them. <gasps> but he has so many of them that um, I said, if you can... You know, help me out with the the pictures and the video of these things, and we'll talk and we'll make it like a collaboration and we'll put it on uh, 512 pixels. And he was up for that. So it's a, it's, that's helpful because I don't have most of these, although I have a few more than I used to because I've been buying things on eBay. (laughs) Was that because of this project? Did it make you want to buy some? Well, it's also because I, I, I realized Stephen doesn't have it. And I'm like, well, I need one to shoot for, this project so i have bought a couple of computers specifically to take pictures of them and video of them for this project um so that's that's a a little (laughs) tidbit but anyway so that you'll get something different out of the video which is me and steven talking about old max then out of and you can see them uh then out of the podcast which is lots of different voices including mine and then the essay which is which is mine so you know take pick your poison use them all Multimedia or pick one. media
0: extravaganza. Well, you
1: talk about me wanting to be current. This is an example where like the old way of thinking was I shall write 20 essays yeah. one a week and that'll be it. And and I thought that's wrong. I shouldn't I should do more than that and that's why I have made a vast amount of work for myself. So well. See you in mid December, everybody. (laughs) I think this is a great project. I love that you
0: have gone to the lengths that you have because it feels to me like even more of an event because of it. Like, you know, there are things where you, when you can see the amount of work someone has put into something, it elevates what you think of it in your mind, right? So, like, the fact that I know I can read an article, listen to a podcast, and watch a YouTube video, and the three of them do have differences in content, like, that is. That seems amazing to me. That's like a big thing. So I congratulate you for doing this project. I urge people to go and consume it. I will also say I'm super happy because I'm not a big article guy and love that there's a podcast version sure. so I can consume in my preferred medium, which yeah. would be to listen. Especially for me, considering it's lots of different people, I like to hear them. Um, you know, That's just my preference. But that's the great thing about having so many different forms of media available is you've given this project to people in whatever way they want to consume it. So you can find all this stuff at Six Colors or if you want to listen to the podcast version. It's relay.fm slash 20 max. Or yep. if you're an Upgrade Plus subscriber or a Six Colors member, you get that feed uh, available to you so you can get them in advance. This is a great project. I'm very happy that you're doing it. Um, and I Thank will you. be here to cheer you on over the next 20 weeks, Jason, um, because I have no doubt that by week like 17, it's going to be tough.
1: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I am ahead. I, I will say I ask. am ahead. I have, I'm starting this project. I launched this project with stuff in the can. Mm. So I am ahead, which gives me some some slack time. But um, the moment you press the button and announce it, you think, oh boy, like, (laughs) uh, mm, here we go. So here we go. This episode is brought to you by
0: Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. They will let you easily create a website for your next idea or project. No matter what type of site you want to make, Squarespace has the tools. It is an all-in-one platform to let you put your work online. There's nothing to install, patch, upgrade, learn. It's super easy. I have been building websites on Squarespace For over 10 years, because when I have something I want to put online, I just want to put that thing online. I don't want to have to jump through the million hoops that I would have to jump through to get everything ready to try and like work out how to build a website. No, I just want an all-in-one platform that will do it for me beautifully with all of the functionality that I'm looking for. If I want a blog, portfolio, online store, event, maybe you want to set. I've our wedding website we built on Squarespace. My podcast mentorship website I built on Squarespace. The Relay FM blog is on Squarespace because these are things like I don't want to have to build any of that stuff. Squarespace has the tools. They take care of all the difficult stuff so you don't have to. They've got you covered. They have 24 7 award winning customer support. If you need any help they will take care of it for you. You can quickly and easily grab a unique domain name and customize those award winning templates to really make your content sing. You can sign up for a free trial right now by going to squarespace.com slash upgrade their plans start at just $12 a month month and you can get 10% off if you use the code upgrade and you'll get 10, that is ten percent off your first purchase of a website or domain. you'll also be showing your support for this show. That is squarespace.com slash upgrade and the code upgrade to get 10% off your first purchase a thanks to Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM Squarespace. Make your next move, make your next website. Okay, so there was last week, you can't have avoided this, the Senate antitrust, no, the Congressional <laughs> antitrust hearing, uh, where they brought, where they, the Congress brought in a bunch of uh, tech CEOs, right? So we had Zuckerberg, Pichai, Bezos, and Cook asked them a bunch of questions, Um There were also some statements beforehand that were enlightening. The the questions themselves were like, you know, pick your poison on that one. We are not going to talk about the uh, antitrust hearing itself. There's a lot of great content out there that will do it way better than we will. I would recommend people listen to the most recent episode of the talk show with Nilay Patel from The Verge, along with John Gruber. It's an excellent episode of the talk show because you get both sides. Um, You get the tech angle, and uh, Neelai is very well versed in the legal side too. So I really recommend that episode to people to go and check out if they want to kind of get a good breakdown for what this uh, hearing was like. But The thing that I wanted to talk about with you, Jason, is there were a bunch of emails that came out afterwards as kind of like the evidence that was uh, collected as part of this investigation. And there were two main parts to this that I wanted to touch on that tie up some things that we've been talking about on this show for a while, and they actually include both Apple and Amazon in both instances.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: One of them is why you can't buy Kindle books in the iOS app. So this one goes back a long, long way. <laughs> so this one is actually referring to emails that uh, Steve Jobs was in the thread of back in 2010 because I've forgotten this until I read this. You used to be able to do it, right? You could buy Kindle books in the in Kindle iOS app way back at the beginning, and it would just be processed through your Amazon account. Right. And then Apple started introducing more functionality to the to the App Store, including in-app purchase as a thing. But, you know, it was still like an opt-in thing, you know... The, the, the old rules of the app store are very different to where they are now. You know, like, for example, when it began, there were no free apps at all, right? Like, every app was paid. So, like, stuff changed over time. And basically, what this breaks down to from looking at the email chain between, uh, like, Phil Schiller, previously mentioned, was in this chain. Jobs was in this chain. Eddie Cue is in this chain. Basically, Amazon made an ad which showed customers switching to and from their iPhone to get their books on the Kindle app. And they were switching to Kindles and to, and to Android devices. And they didn't like it because it kind of showed that, uh, you know, basically the iPhone was just another tool in that chain. And also, by this point, there were more users uh, of iOS, like on iOS, the Kindle app, than Kindle devices from Amazon. So the argument that they were making to each other was that basically at this point, Amazon is making money from the iPhone more than they're making from their own hardware. So they started looking at what we have today, which was basically they either use our in-app purchase model or they don't do it at all. And there are a couple of interesting quotes that I just wanted to pull out. One is from Eddie Q, which is saying, this is going to be a huge decision for us. Which is very apt. Like and it goes on to describe a little more by basically saying, like, if we do this, we are making massive changes to the app store for everyone. But they did it. And what, And this is a quote from Steve Jobs in that email chain. iBooks is going to be the only bookstore on iOS devices. We need to hold our heads high. One can read books bought elsewhere, just not buy, rent, or subscribe for iOS without paying us, while we acknowledge it is prohibitive for many things. So there's a couple of... Like, it's interesting stuff here, and there's funny stuff here. The funny stuff to me is that, like, that did not pan out. iBooks is not, like, the destination right like no. i'm sure a books the books app is used by many people but i think if people think about ebooks they think about kindle books right like that is pretty much where that's landed at this point the books app exists you can go there if you want to but it's definitely not as apple imagined uh, and then the other thing i just find it so interesting that we are still dealing with the ramifications of this today right with people choosing whether to use the in-app purchase model or not for for their devices for subscriptions, you know this. It, all of this uh, decision went out into all of that, right? So talking about like, hey, a few weeks ago, or Netflix now, right? Like that that you you cannot sign up there. All of that came from this one decision, which was that because there was an ad that Amazon made, which showed it was easier to switch away from the iPhone.
1: Yeah, yeah, I not my favorite trait of Apple, this stuff. This Mm -hmm. is the, uh, I think that Steve Jobs' email from 2011 is just so clear. It's, um, this is pretty simple. iBooks is going to be the only bookstore on iOS devices. We need to hold our heads high. One can read books bought elsewhere, just not buy, rent, subscribe from iOS without paying us, which we acknowledge is prohibitive for many things. Mm -hmm. This is Apple saying, we want our money and if that means you can't sell it on our platform, so be it. Um, But, the for me, it's funny. Um, this week's ATP, which is already out, they beat us because they recorded it last week. They had a, I thought, a really good discussion, um, especially um, what Marco said about like the advantages and disadvantages and the criticism Apple gets for aspects of its uh, platform on iOS and all the convenience that comes from uh, Apple's payment platform. Like for me. Similarly, I would say, my big criticism, I mean, I don't love the fact that Apple is making developers jump, through, who have outside so- stores jump through hoops uh, or, or makes customers who use apps from companies like Amazon to jump through hoops like what I do if I want to buy a comic on Comisology or a book on uh, on Amazon, on the Kindle bookstore, I have to open up a web browser, right? Like I can't. I have to use Safari. I can't use the Amazon app. I can't use the Comixology app. I have to go to a web browser. It's stupid. It's a waste of my time. Makes it much less convenient for me. It is the worst it's a worse user
0: experience.
1: Yeah, I think it's a, so. I think it's a bad policy. And I think, um, I think what Marco said is essentially all they have to do to fix this is let. Well, what he said is let the app say or go to our website. I, I would go further and say, Apple should let apps link out to the place you need to go in a Safari window in, in Safari. Right, like not a not not a secret hidden web view that is tricking the user. But Apple could define it that way, and it would be a better better customer experience. Um, I feel like you should just be able to buy books and comics inside the Kindle and comicsology apps. Like, I, I feel like it's stupid that Apple doesn't let them do that. Um, but the thing that puts it, puts it over the edge into offensive to me is that this is a strategy to get people to buy books from Apple in its bookstore. It is Apple building a competitive product that leverages Apple's platform control. Yeah, And let's be honest... Would the iBookstore have any traction at all if it weren't for the fact that it's the only place that you can sort of tap mm-hmm. a couple of times and buy a book mm-hmm. on Apple's platforms, mm-hmm. as opposed to Kindle, which is a decidedly worse experience because you can't buy books? Um, and that that's the part that's always offended me the most about it is that Apple's taking it, – it's not just that its guidelines lead to consumer hostile behavior – it's also that it's got a horse in the race. It's it's It built a bookstore to to eat Amazon's lunch and crack down on Amazon so that it would win, which it didn't do. I mean, that feels
0: like a textbook definition of anti-competitive, right? Yeah. Like I they think so. I, competition but, and decided they would, yeah. they would fix that.
1: Right? Now, now, when we say that, I mean, we're not lawyers and we're no. not talking about the law. We're not no. talking about what's legal or not. I'm saying- What feels and we're right both wrong. Saying, this is this is Apple using its power as a maker of computer operating systems to build a new business that mirrors a business that someone else has. Mm-hmm. The only reason for it to exist is to scoop up more money because it's got the platform power. That's what the iBookstore is. And you know, I apologize. I know a lot of people who listen to this show, a lot of people who read my writing, they use the bookstore and iBooks and, or books now and uh, that's fine. I it's don't. a really nice app. Like it's, it's it's fine. It's nice, you know. But but I feel like it's irrelevant because it's only available for people who are in entirely in the Apple ecosystem. Mm-hmm. If you ever want to be somewhere else, good luck to you. Yep. Again, I'm not saying that it's bad. I'm saying that the genesis of it was this behavior, which is we're going to build our own thing and take all the money, and everybody else is not going to be able to have a good experience because we own the store. And I I I just it's it's bad and it's and it's counter you know this is one of those classic Apple things where it's like oh what we really care about is that people love our stuff um, but the way that they define that is so selective and it's a little bit like if you remember what they said to Basecamp about hey where they said you know you've you've had so many apps on our platform and all that money you keep and we've gotten nothing of it and the implication there is you've built a business on our greatness. And we, got, we didn't see anything of it. But what they don't say is the way to flip that, which is how good would the iPhone be if it didn't have any third-party apps? The answer is it would have been a flop and died. So the value goes both ways. Apple makes an enormous amount of money on phone hardware, enormous amounts of money. And its platform is more valuable. Its product is better because it's got those apps on it. It works both ways. But it, when it serves Apple to make it seem like uh, everybody else is just trying to make money on Apple's back and Apple should see a cut of it, that's where it, it seems really distasteful to me. And I wrote about this on Six Colors briefly, but let me tell you, this is absolutely from Steve Jobs. This is a cultural artifact inside Apple that comes from Steve Jobs' attitude toward all third parties and and that means, in, that means journalism. It also means developers mm. where they are participating in Apple's greatness and they're lucky that Apple lets them participate at all, but never forget that it's Apple that creates all the value and Apple should get its share. And that was very much a Steve Jobs attitude from the beginning. I can tell you as somebody who worked at the company that did Macworld Magazine and that did Macworld Expo that Steve Jobs felt absolutely he was infuriated by the idea that some company built a business on a product with the word Mac in it, and that, that we had whole people with jobs and businesses uh, about Apple's stuff, and Apple didn't get a piece of it. He hated it. He, he, he hated it, because that was his attitude, was, this is my greatness, and you're a parasite on my greatness, <laughs> and, uh, and, and you see it today. This is, this is, I think, one of the ugliest parts of Steve Jobs' legacy. And you see it in cases like this. So, I mean, these emails just brought it all back to me. It was like, yep, look, it's Steve Jobs saying all those things. And, you know, a lot of these policies still exist today. And it's like, there's no, they're not defensible from a user standpoint. They're not. They're they're just because the user experience is worse. It's worse. And, And the fact that they've got a competitor, well, why don't you just buy your books on our bookstore? Well... Anyway, it's it's very frustrating, and and of course none of this came up in the hearing. But thank you to whoever subpoenaed these records.
0: Yeah, I mean, and this stuff is not for the hearing; it's like for the investigation, which will produce the report. And the hope right. is that the report will will be better for what it's supposed to do than the hearing was for real. It was supposed to do
1: what What is clear and has been clear for a long time. And after beating up Apple about iBooks, I will say the iBooks. Uh, ruling against Apple, where Apple was found to be colluding with publishers. That was was a very clear signaling point that that U.S. law to protect consumers from companies having too much power and engaging in anti-competitive behavior is broken. Because as we all know, the net result of Apple and the publishers being found guilty is that Amazon got stronger right? It was the opposite of what those laws are supposed to protect. Mm -hmm. So one of the arguments is Apple isn't doing anything illegal. I think what I would say is some of the stuff that smells bad, you know, the result is what we think of as as antitrust is not what they thought antitrust was a hundred years ago. And, you know, this is why if I were Apple, I would be treading lightly and they're not they're still not doing it i would be treading lightly because all that needs to happen is for uh, the u.s government to have the will to pass some laws that redefine what anti-competitive behavior is and depending on what they do that could really break apple's business and make their products worse and some of it is probably avoidable by Apple behaving a little bit differently. And 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 if I have a fundamental frustration with today's Apple and their attitude toward this is a lot of times their excuse is, well, look, we're just enforcing the rules. It's mm-hmm. like I, I don't make the rules. Oh wait, I do make the rules. But no, no, I'm just enforcing the rules. And it's like, well, it's their rules. You could change them to be fairer, but you've chosen not to.
0: One other uh, thing that is interesting for this show specifically is the Apple-Amazon deal that occurred a couple of years ago that did two major things. One was to bring Amazon Prime to Apple TV and for Apple to bring their products to sell on Amazon. So uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to a couple of tweets from Mark Gurman. So the 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 former is is basically the terms of the deal for Prime now like the Prime TV service, right? And it is effectively what we expected. They got a 15% flat cut on all users who signed up in app. No waiting no waiting period, you know, they don't have to wait for a year before it converts. They got straight anyone that signs up, they get 15%. So this proves two things. It proves one that this happened, and two that there is a clear policy for cutting that thirty percent where it feels necessary, which I think I've said on this show many times in other places, which I think is the policy I would have if I were Apple, but I wouldn't pretend that I didn't have it. Right? Like, yeah, Netflix, Amazon, any of these companies. They have millions of users. They are bringing value to Apple as much as Apple's bringing value to them. It is business, right? Like yep. that you would negotiate. But this yep. idea that all developers are treated the same and they all pay the same,
1: it's not true. Just just stop, yeah. Stop just, trying to just either stop.
0: saying it or giving that impression, which they are. Um, so the terms of the deal were that they would only pay 15%, but Amazon had to support all of the tvOS features. Then there was a second uh, slide which showed, and this is wild, this one is bananas that this got put into this uh, uh, overall package, right? There is a forecasting sheet for revenue of Apple products sold through Amazon for a year. Now... My The thing is, my expectation on this is it is multiple years old. This is probably a two-year-old slide, so don't try to draw too many conclusions from it. But even then, you see some really interesting stuff. Like, so a couple of years ago, we basically found out that Apple TV revenue is minuscule compared to the rest of the product line. Like, so they had a $26 million total revenue expectation for Apple TV. Apple Care is $66 million, right? So very small. But again, this is sold through Amazon. You can't extrapolate this out to Apple as a whole. But it's still a slice. Uh, the watch was worth more than the Mac in revenue, at 440 million to 432 million, and Beats at that time was selling more than quote accessories, which would assume included AirPods. But again. This is before the AirPods cultural explosion, I think. So there's just some interesting stuff in there to see, right? That like they expected in a year to do a billion dollars of revenue, like billion dollars of sales of the iPhone through Amazon. Um, so it's it's kind of interesting to see considering we don't get these numbers anymore. We're going to talk about Apple's revenue, uh, their, their Q3 results in a minute. Um, we don't get these kind of breakdowns anymore, right, Jason? They don't show
1: us this now. No, they don't. No, it's uh, Look... Apple sells a lot of products Mm -hmm. and Amazon sells a lot of Apple products now that they have this deal. Yeah. It's it's a fun when we get little disclosures that go outside of what we usually get, but Mm -hmm. are we surprised that Apple and Amazon, I mean, we, we know they made a deal. Yeah. (laughs) Like we, we know they made a deal and that this was part of it. And, um, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, I think that there are aspects of this that Apple gets criticized for and aspects that they don't get criticized for that they should. Mm-hmm. And that's just, it's just kind of a funny uh, situation. I just, I, you know, I, I want, ultimately, I want Apple's behavior to generate a better user experience because Apple talks a lot about caring about its users. But some of the decisions it makes, which are business friendly, are consumer hostile. And that's what bothers me is that they don't get to hide behind loving the consumer experience and then throw the consumer experience away when they can make a little more money because that's a bad path to walk down. That is, a, that is a path that leads Apple to a very bad place where it's not Apple anymore. This episode is brought to you by DoorDash.
0: You've got so much in your to-do list, laundry, emails, errands, goodness knows what else. Give yourself one less thing to worry about and let DoorDash take care of your next meal. DoorDash is the app that brings you food that you're craving right now, right to your door. Ordering is easy. Just open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with their new contactless delivery drop off setting. With over 300,000 partners in the US, Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your local go tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle wendy's and the cheesecake factory jason snow can you tell me something about doordash
1: uh super easy to get food delivered and you can queue it up mm-hmm. so that if you want to have dinner later and you're thinking about it in the like early afternoon you can just make your order and say mm. send you know bring it to me at 6 p.m and then it just shows up and
0: that is a good idea actually to not be trying to order when you're hungry mm, dangerous dangerous <laughs> terrible <laughs> but I, I like for when i'm doing that kind of stuff i end up not being able to decide that's my problem like i'm hungry and trying to order not, not i just can't decide um, but yeah, this is great for like, I think you said before as well, like if you've got a new new place that's opening up, you can help support them. It's a great time to be able to support restaurants uh, that are doing uh, delivery right now and DoorDash will help you do that, which is awesome. Our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more. All you got to do is download the DoorDash app in the App Store and use the code upgrade. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and use the code upgrade. So don't forget upgrade $5 off your first order. That's the code you need with DoorDash to code upgrade. Our thanks to DoorDash for their support, their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So let's talk about Apple's quarterly results for financial Q3. Surprise! All of it's up! Unexpected, right? Everything not up. Expecting Everything that. All up. of it. Alright, so let me give you a very quick breakdown. Record third quarter for revenue at $59.7 billion. This is Apple's largest Q3 of all time of an 11% year-over-year increase. Mac was up 22% year over year. iPad up 31 iPhone up 2%. Services up 15%. Wearables up 17%. You wrote a great article breaking this down as you do over at Macworld. And you said, Apple made more money on iPads in the last quarter than any non-holiday quarter in six years. And in any quarter since the 2018 holiday season, Mac sales were only slightly lower than during last year's holiday and back to school quarters which are generally by far the two best quarters for Mac sales. So we knew that the Mac and the iPad were going to do well cuz Tim Cook indicated it last quarter, right?
1: Right. He, so, there was a there was a tell there. Uh, yeah. It's the pandemic right there. Their thought was that there were a lot of people who were at home either for work or for school and needed to upgrade their equipment to be better equipped to work or learn from home and that that was driving mac and ipad sales and you can see why he said that because here here it is this is like the best mac quarter in a while and the best ipad quarter in a long while
0: and but the the big surprise though is that everything else followed you know like iphone sales being up two percent year over year would not have expected that like it, it it's a lot of really wild stuff going on here Um, Like, you know, you could say there are good keyboards and new products in the Mac and iPad line, but I don't think it's just that that's not the reason, right? Like the reason is like they had great products to sell, but they also had a vast demand for people that needed those, which is why I'm sure we saw the biggest uh, growth year over year in the Mac and the iPad, you know, like it was smaller in the other lines, and there was a question um, during the earnings call, and I wonder what you think about this. Could this bust damage the remaining quarters of 2020? Do you think?
1: Yeah. So they asked Tim Cook this question. Like, is the idea here that you're pulling sales that you would have had in back to school stu- back to school quarter or the holiday quarter? Are you pulling those forward? And that then you know it's great that you've got them now, but should we expect the sales to go back down? in the next couple of quarters below where they would normally be because you, you these, this is a bunch of stuff that got brought forward. And Tim Cook's response was interesting because, you know, obviously back to school buying is going on now. He said no for back to school. And he said, as for the holidays, we only predict one quarter ahead, so we're not going to talk about it. My gut feeling is that they're going to have a weak holiday quarter. That's my gut feeling is that you've got all the economic conditions in the world with COVID-19. Right. Yep. Um, and, and it's normally, it will still be a good quarter probably because it is always Apple's best quarter, but given the economic headwinds, I used the analyst term there, nice, headwinds. Nice. And, uh, given the fact that people have bought stuff, bought hardware early for the pandemic, it's hard not to see this, especially given the way the pandemic is going in the United States, which is not well. Um, um, It's hard to imagine the holiday quarter being great for them. So my guess is that they're going to take it on the chin a little bit in the holiday quarter and that it's not a fundamental part of Apple's business, but really some combination of uh, depression of sales because of economic issues and because of some of this stuff getting pulled forward. I don't need to buy a new home computer for Christmas. I bought it for the pandemic. Did they give any guidance for the next quarter? Nope, no guidance. Again, they said, we don't know. Things are weird. The world is strange. We're not going to give you any guidance. We don't know what's going to happen. One thing that
0: could help the holiday quarter is it's very possible that all iPhones sold will be sold during the holiday quarter. There'll be no... Mm -hmm. uh, there will be no fourth quarter, which is the actual calendar third quarter iPhone sales for new iPhones, right? Because they announced right. that the new iPhones would be quote a couple of weeks late, which
1: means October. Uh, later yeah, they than last they were very year. quick to specify that they shipped in late September, and this time will ship a few weeks later. Which <laughs> I'm, going re- October? <laughs> I'm going to read. I'm going to read. Well, why they didn't, I think, is in case something really bad happens mm. and it ships in early November, they can say, right. well, you know, we said a few weeks. Mean? It could- Right. But it feels very strongly like October is what they actually mean here. And there's also the question of like, if there are four new models, are they all going to ship at the same time or would that get spread out? And that may be where November comes in, right? Like, well, these will be out in early October, but these are not going to ship until November and that would fall into the a few weeks later kind of zone. But it's definitely not happening in September. So it's in October, November, December, fourth calendar quarter, holiday quarter, first year It's actually first fiscal 2021 quarter for Apple, but the holiday quarter is going to get all the iPhone sales.
0: Because if you think about it, you know, like those, those first week, those first two weeks, that's when I would expect the majority of what would happen in the quarter is happening, right? Like people will buy Maybe not the majority, but it's a big spike. And that might help them in that quarter, but it's not going to change the amount sold, right? It's just like, when is it reported? Right. Um, and as you say, right? Like we could end up with phones coming out all throughout the end of the year because sure. they'll ship these things when they're ready. But who knows when they're all going to be ready? Maybe Apple doesn't even know yet completely. And as you say, we may get mid-October going out into November uh, for these four products to start shipping. You know, it's isn't unprecedented. The iPhone X uh, shipped in October when um, the 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 eight was announced in September. Um, I think I've got my times right there. Uh, I will ask you, if they're going to ship iPhones
1: in October, do you think the event will be in October? Uh, no, I think the event will probably be in September because they announce and then they don't ship right away. Uh, it's possible that they could they could move it. Like It's usually like a week later. So it's possible that it could be late September or early October for mm. an event. They could also just do it in early September as they always do and say, and they'll be available in October and just walk away. So I I don't think it precludes them from doing the event at the usual time. But, you know, we live in this strange year now where perhaps that'll all just get pushed back. And that would be, um, you know, my my gut feeling is that it won't, but they could if they wanted to. I guess we'll have to ask Apple Fellow and head of events, Phil Schiller, what he thinks about it. But he's not talking because he keeps secrets. Uh,
0: the couple of other things that came out from the uh, earnings call which is interesting to me Um, Apple TV Plus production has not restarted yet because of restrictions in LA I'm intrigued to see what they're going to do here Um, but that's that and also Apple is not going to be asking employees to return on math to the campus until early 2021 at the very soonest uh, which again not a big surprise there really yep but it's a surprising surprising quarter overall like wild to see them up those
1: levels i mean they hit they a bunch of goals and up. services and stuff like they, that which they, they were really kind of sheepish they're like we know the world is terrible but we made a lot of money yeah <laughs> it's like oh um, yeah so yep. we
0: can't can't avoid it but uh it it definitely did happen all right so that is it i think for a Bumper episode of upgrade huge. It was even a bigger episode than we thought than when we started. <laughs> yeah. So that's we kept getting of bigger. Of... Apple also uh, released beta four of iOS today and denied that they were gonna buy TikTok. So it's been a really busy It's been a roller coaster day. Ride. Which Glad means we waited till Tuesday, huh? Exactly. Which means we're gonna skip ask upgrade for this week. But if you have questions, <laughs> Oh, that was the retraction of the lasers. If you have yep. uh, questions you would like us to answer on next week's show, send out a tweet with the hashtag Upgrade or use the the uh, question mark ask Upgrade command in the Real AFM members' Discord which you get access to if you support this show and support Upgrade+. Plus. You go to getupgradeplus.com and sign up. Um, and it's $5 a month or $50 a year. You get extra content. And now you will also get early access to 20 max for 2020. So okay. thank you so much. If you do that, you also get upgrade about any ads. Um, I would like to thank our sponsors for this episode, DoorDash, Squarespace, and Pingdom. If you want to find Jason online, go to six And he is at Jason now, am at I Mike. I M Y K E. And we'll be back next time. Until then. Say goodbye, Jason Snow. Goodbye, Mike Hurley.